Welcome to the Shiny Brightly Show. I'm Howard Brown, author, speaker, Silicon Valley entrepreneur, international peacemaker, and yes, two-time stage four cancer patient survivor and advocate. Each episode will take you from resilience to hope and a whole lot more because Shining Brightly does make the world a better place. Be prepared to be inspired. Hello, it's Howard Brown. Welcome to the Shining Brightly Show. You got me today. It's a solo episode in honor of Father's Day 2023. Let me first by giving a huge shout out to all the dads out there. Listen, it's an honor to actually be a dad. It's a privilege to be a dad. There's work involved. But listen, there's no better feeling than actually being a dad and um, growing a family. So we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about my journey today. So um, this is a Father's Day tribute. And uh, I'll start kind of uh, some where values and influences started for me. And I was five years old and my twin sister, CJ Brown Jengris and I were uh, walking down the sidewalk with Bubby Bertha Budish who came over from Lithuania. What an amazing story for her to come over. Orthodox Jewish um, great grandmother or Bubby. And um, she taught us some lessons and those lessons were how to actually live a good life. And the word she taught us was chesed. And chesed in Hebrew means kindness. And she said, you can always be kind. Living a life of kindness, it's a choice. And choose kindness. Um, really wise words there. The second word she chose was to live a life of giving. And in Hebrew, the word is tzedakah, and it's the justice of giving. And she said that you have to be able to give to others. There's less fortunate people out there, and giving is part of a, of a, of a great life. And then lastly, she talked about healing yourself and then healing others and healing the world. And that word is called tikkun olam. And that is Caring and healing a broken world. And that is godlike. So those three lessons that, that we took from an early age of living a life of kindness, of giving, and then healing ourselves and healing others to repair a broken world is a good life. So uh, I am just grateful for Bubby Bertha Buddhist to give us those lessons, those values to be able to take forth and try to apply on a daily basis. Next, there was Papa Leo Brown, my dad's dad. And he was <clears throat> graduated high school, but uh, got drafted into uh, World War II. And he served as a private first class in Italy. And what I observed from Papa Leo was that family first. Family was everything to him. Uh, they grew up in the Great Depression. Um, we used to go shopping. And the big thing with Papa Leo was that if, can, if cans of corn were on sale, okay, um, now at that time, they might have been a quarter, uh, a can, and they were on sale for a few pennies less, he would stock up with cases. He didn't actually want to go uh, short um, 
So you can think about during COVID, those runs of toilet paper, right? Uh, he always wanted to have uh, enough to provide for his family and not run out since he grew up fairly poorly. And um, he also was uh, a hard worker. And uh, I noticed that he used to actually sing a song to us that if you want to be the top banana, you got to start at the bottom of the bunch. So think about the memories from your grandparents uh, that, uh, that, that actually were bestowed upon you and that you can remember today. And then moving on to my dad, Marshall Brown. Boy, listen, he was a young man. My mom was 19. He was, I think, 22 years old. And they had twins. So uh, my dad, who had been the first person in our family uh, to graduate college, the University of Bridgeport, I think in around 1964, and um, got married right away and had to go to work because uh, we were born in St. Louis. He was there on a training program. And then they moved us back to the Boston suburbs of Framingham, about 20 minutes from Boston. And what I noticed growing up was that he was working <laughs> to support his family. So he's a shoe salesman on the road. And then on the weekends, he was working in a shoe store, Al Bundy, right? And uh, at nights, he was working at the Hostess uh, Bakery Shop. And uh, I'm sorry, the plant. And he's making Hostess Cupcakes and Twinkies. And so... Um, my mom was taking care of twins and he was working three jobs to make ends meet and uh, to give us a good life. And so uh, that hasn't changed very much. Uh, my dad at 80 years old is still working. Um, I don't think he's ever going to retire, but that's okay. But that value of work um, stuck with me and um, he got to take us out on some road trips and he valued that uh, ability to be able to provide for his family. Now, I will tell you, as we got older, um, even though he was working and on the road and away a lot, when he was home, he was an active dad. So um, I will tell you that I sat out in the front yard in the driveway shooting baskets and he would rebound with me for hours. I don't think, I think he might've missed one game of my basketball career um, and in high school or in college, um, he, he made it his schedule around seeing me play and seeing my sister who did the sports a little bit gymnastics, but um, very much a presence, um, whether it was throwing the uh, football around or um, swimming in the pool, going to the gym, playing tennis, uh, jogging. Uh, we used to do a trail called Rudy the Rabbit in our reservoir near our house. Uh, great memories of, of my dad. And so Quick story, my mom went to play Mahjong with uh, her girlfriends, and uh, that's with tiles. It's, it's, I think it's a Japanese uh, or Chinese game. And my dad let us stay up late. So um, we got to stay up late, and my mom found out not too happy. So we gave him the best father award. It was like a little trophy we made. And for years and years, we've always given him the best father award. So, uh, Dad, you, you get the best father award uh, every year. Uh, that uh, that we're around. So cool, cool stuff. Now, I want to talk about family tradition because, oh my goodness, uh, my grandparents, um, Lillian and Mike Shapiro of Blessed Memory, uh, started a tradition where they would pick us up on a 
Friday or maybe even a Thursday night. And we would drive to Long Island to Queens and we would pick up my cousins. And uh, they were, uh, Michelle was one year younger. Doug was, uh, I think, four years younger. Michelle and Douglas and, and CJ and I. And we would all be in a car together. These are like bucket seats. Uh, I'm sorry, they were like bench seats. And so three in the back, three in the front. And we would drive from New York City up to the Catskill Mountains. I think we started doing this, got to be like eight years old. And we did it to 18. And we go up to the Catskill Mountains and they have all these hotels, Grossinger's, I'm not sure they're in business anymore, the Concord, the Homowack. Um, it was It was amazing. And we were there just with our grandparents. We had uh, adjoining rooms that were connected and we would get to go. Uh, my grandfather taught us to play golf. We were going swimming and huge dining halls of rooms of meals. And uh, we saw shows at night. And I think some of the time we'd cut out of the shows because it was, uh, we were time to go to bed, <laughs> keeping, the, you know, keeping us up late at night. But I think about all those special memories of... Um, the food and, and the fun that we had. And uh, we sang songs together uh, in the car to pass the time. Uh, my grandfather's favorite was uh, You Are My Sunshine. And um, we sang John Jingle, John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. I mean, oh my God, we so many different types of songs, The Wheels on the Bus. Um, and we were little kids at the time. But I don't, I think that the appreciation we got was that we actually had a family tradition that we would look forward to all year long. And, you know, meeting up with my remote cousins in New York and then heading up to the Catskills. And we just didn't want it to end. Um, it was so fantastic. And I want you to think about, you know, some family memories and traditions that you have uh, for your families too. And um, the great thing is, is that when... Um, my sister and I uh, had kids. We're going to get into that in a second. Um, my parents started a tradition of taking everyone to their happy place called Ogunquit Beach, Maine. And so imagine flying everybody in. We were in California some of the time and then all in Michigan, flying to Boston, going to Bubby Nancy's house and Papa Marsh's pool for the first night. And that was like a Thursday night. And then Friday morning, we were up early and we were all headed in the caravan, like three cars, all the way up to Ogunquit Beach, Maine. And we would actually stay um, at the Aspen Quid Hotel, a bridge walk from the beach, and then close enough to downtown Ogunquit where all the restaurants and the ice cream and all the shops were. And we did this. Oh, my God. My parents have been going up there for 40 some odd years. We did this since our kids were born. And um, we missed a few because of COVID. Um, and then we lived in California for a little bit, but we got to go up there and the kids would go on the trolleys that we would walk to Perkins Cove. Uh, after dinner, every night they got, my mom would take them to the candy store. Every morning, my dad would go on a Dunkin' Donuts run for everybody. So every morning it's Dunkin' Donuts and a donut or a croissant and coffee and juice and all that. And then we would head down to the beach for the day. and living in the water, freezing cold, playing games, uh, walking uh, to uh, different parts of the beach, and, uh, and then coming back after hopefully not being sunburned to swim in the pool and go to early dinner. 
my dad was like, the kids got to eat at 5.30. He was like clockwork. Um, but another just family tradition, and I'm just teasing you with, with the highlights. You can buy my book and you can, you can read all the deets. But it was truly, really incredible. And um, I want to just call out uh, some fatherly advice. So I had gone to Connecticut College. It wasn't really the right fit for me. And my dad said, you're taking summer classes. You're going to play basketball, work, and take summer classes at Babson College. And I did. And um, I found uh, my place there at Babson, the number one school for entrepreneurship. And it changed the trajectory of my life. So thanks, Dad, uh, for really uh, making sure that I was actually on the right track when I got off the track. So that's what dads do, right? And um, then um, after graduating Babson, I started my career. And uh, for those that know me, they know the story. But for those that don't, um, at age 23 and a half, I was diagnosed with stage four T-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now, during the headlights, yes, uh, no internet, <laughs> no cell phones, no real computer use. Uh, dad, dad got a book on cancer and we had to learn uh, what was all about. But uh, Things were dark for me and uh, my, my mom and dad, I moved home and uh, we didn't get any good news. I, I was failing the therapies and things looked really dark. And the only good news was my twin sister ended up being an exact bone marrow match, stem cell transplant. And uh, roll the clock forward to May 24th of, of 1990, um, I had a bone marrow transplant a week before I had rock'em sock'em chemo and full body radiation twice a day. And I was in an isolation room, think boy in the bubble. And um, we were hoping to see if her bone marrow would work and not kill me right away. And um, we, we were hoping it did. And it, it was uh, infused in me and her immune system became my immune system. Miracle number one. I mean, that's a one in 25,000 chance of being a match incredible. Um, I still can't fathom it. I mean, how blessed, grateful, and lucky was I? And um, I went through a clinical trial, and I, I got my life back. And I got to move to California and start to rebuild my mental toughness, my physical fitness, uh, my confidence uh, working again, uh, hitting the basketball court out in uh, Marina del Rey with the ocean breeze. Uh, right off the beach there. Oh, that was kind of cool. And then uh, by adding community service into my life, um, I met my wife at the Jewish Federation of Los Angeles in 1993. And uh, she uh, she said, you know what, we were, we were actually at a, like a, a college fair looking to volunteer in the community, in the Jewish community. And she said, you'd be a great Jewish big brother. And I signed up. They did all the background checks and the fingerprinting. And I got matched with a young man uh, who was 10, young boy, Ian Ellis, met his mom, Susan, who's passed away of blessed memory. And I became a big brother. And I learned a lot about being a big brother, but really it translated into being a dad because he, I was stepping in kind of for his dad that was in prison and now passed away. And um, I learned so much. Uh, about Ian and about his family. And um, I had never had a little brother and we got to experience life and wrap ourselves around each other. And what an amazing experience from playing chess on the beach to taking him to his first concert, 
flying him up to San Francisco to spend weekends with us. And then um, as he progressed and went to college um, at UC Santa Cruz, then his master's at uh, Florida State, and then he ended up uh, going to Hastings Law School and got to stand up for Ian at his wedding. He's now married to Sarah, has a, a son, Noble. And um, in between that, he stayed with us during uh, his clerkship and um, as he was uh, came to Michigan and lived with us uh, for four months. And uh, he got to play and meet Emily and uh, play soccer with her. And uh, she calls him Uncle Ian. And uh, he's a big part of our lives. And uh, Ian, Sarah, Noble are family with us. And so the lessons learned about some discipline and, you know, getting me in uh, on the right track uh, was passed on from, as I said, from grandparents to parents to me. And I was able to apply many of those lessons of my upbringing and values to Ian. And um, it's really special to watch him grow his family now. I will tell you that. So uh, mentorship is leadership and being the mentor, being the mentee, uh, the world is uh, needs a lot more of that. Um, I will actually tell you that. And so uh, next, I um, you know met Lisa, and we had a Hollywood romance and a, and a Hollywood wedding at Shutters at the Beach. And um, I one of the toughest conversations I had was I had to tell her that uh, I was uh, infertile, and I had gone through a major cancer experience, and that could have easily, you know pushed her away, but it didn't. Um, I think she um, she embraced that and she loved me more for uh, that um, when I disclosed that to her uh, while we were dating. And um, we got married and my career is booming and the uh, work in the community is doing, going great. And we moved up to uh, San Francisco Bay Area, Silicon Valley, as I'm a tech entrepreneur. And a couple of things that uh, I forgot uh, about um, that you so easily do when you get sucked into the vortex is that um, my work-life balance, I, I was a workaholic and I, I wasn't making enough time for me and enough, enough time for Lisa. Uh, I was fitting in the community service, but um, it's really easy to get uh, get into that and get into that uh, crazy pace. Uh, you know, I always say Silicon Valley, two plus two equal 200 in the late 90s. And um, it was a fast pace. Every you look left, everyone's sprinting. You look right, everyone's sprinting. It doesn't make it right, but <laughs> everyone was sprinting. And uh, I was able to uh, uh, be part of some public offerings and uh, uh, some uh, some good things in technology. And it was great. And I came home one night and late, and Lisa gave me an article that families that eat together and spend time together uh, are more successful. And Lisa and I were got married a little later in life and, and were, um, I think, together probably seven years. And she said, uh, maybe it's time we uh, we call for that sperm that uh, donated uh, back before I did any chemotherapy. And um, I want to actually just divert to that for a second. So when I'm 23 years old and you're told that you have stage four uh you know, T-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, blood of your, uh, cancer of your whole lymphatic system. Having, having children wasn't on the mind. Um, it was really in the front lines of, am I going to live or die? And so go through a lot of tests and I come in for my first chemotherapy treatment. And 
in an amazing way, <laughs> my liver function test was too high. It was unsafe for me to do chemo. I was kind of knocked down from that because I was didn't sleep at all that night. I had no idea. I, and uh, if I, my liver function was good, I would have done chemotherapy, but instead it wasn't. So either quick thinking by Dr. Eric Rubin at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, my Harvard fellow, um, or training or good doctoring or whatever you want to call it, God talking to him, who knows? He told me to go to the cryogenic center. And I said, cryo what? It's a sperm bank. And he said, you're not going to do chemo today. What do you got to lose? It might actually feel good, right? But um, 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 so I went and I actually delivered a sperm sample and I kind of forgot about it because I was fighting for my life. Uh, and you get a bill once a year and you pay it. <laughs> and so um, Lisa and I called for that uh, that sperm. By the way, thank you, Dr. Rubin. <laughs> thank God. Uh, my God, you gave us a family. I, I, I'm more grateful and, and lucky uh, for your wisdom. So we call for the sperm. And this is, you know, 1989. And so we're now in 2000. And it's 11 years later. So we um, go to the fertility physicians in Northern California, and we meet, and uh, they take us through the process. It's an expensive process. It still might be today. And we had the sperm flown out to San Jose, California. Lisa, in the meantime, grew eight eggs. And um, the harvest, when they took the eggs out of her, they looked and kept the best four, and they defrosted sperm. This is a medical miracle number two here for me. And uh, they took injected the best swimmer uh, in those four eggs and then actually implanted them back in Lisa. And for a time being, we thought we were actually gonna have twins, uh, but um, it's truly amazing. On August 20th of 2001 at Stanford University Hospital, Emily Lauren Brown was born and made us parents, made me a dad, made Lisa a mom. I try not to tear up <laughs> because that was an incredible, incredible day. Um, she stayed in the NICU for a, a few days and then was the healthiest baby there and got moved to a uh, floor. Uh, my in-laws, Bob and Anita Neftley happened to be there uh, and were in the live birth. And uh, we took Emily home. I was a dad. Think about that. I just uh, could have been dead. Um, and uh, because of frozen sperm, medical technology uh, was able to uh, become a dad. It was incredible. It was humbling. It was amazing. It was God blessed. All of the above. So we took home Emily and I was home for dinner a lot more. Um, I kind of got off the... Uh, the bus of Silicon Valley, the pendulum swung the other way from the dot-com to the dot-bomb. And um, I started working at a nonprofit uh, that uh, I helped uh, found and move forward called planetjewish.com, which no longer in business, but um, it allowed me to be home for dinner and control my own schedule. Thanks, Steve Kaufman, uh, for that. Uh, my partner uh, and able to move uh, uh, that from an idea to reality to help um, help list Jewish events and get more people to involved in the Jewish communities that we brought it out in, I think, 30 communities. It lasted for 17 years. So becoming a dad, and um, Lisa was a stay-at-home mom, uh, 
uh, we got to do so much together, uh, but going to the park together and singing songs and um, watching Emily grow up and uh, start to go to, um, you know, nursery schools. And we moved the whole band back to Michigan. And my sister called me, said, I'm moving to Michigan with her family. And she had three children. She had Marley, who's um, was age six, and Luke and Danny twins, girl boy twins. Uh, they were age four. And um, at that time, Beth and Larry had uh, my sister-in-law and uh, Beth's half-sister, uh, Lisa's half-sister, Beth, uh, had two boys, uh, Benny, age four, and Zach, age six. And they got to grow up together. My in-laws, Bob and Anita, lived here in Michigan. My parents were in Boston. They were closer. My mom was able to come out a lot more frequently and see the grandchildren. And it was amazing. And again, we're doing these trips to Ogunquit, uh, mostly around every July 4th, uh, every year. And um, the kids grew up together. And uh, they went to... Uh, lots of different events and got to see each other a lot. And I thought that was really important. Uh, the old adage from family first that, uh, that Papa Leo and my mom always said, um, we are able to do that and, uh, and grow up together. And it was really, really a joy. And so uh, we watched Emily, you know, go to school. And then around age eight, she started to get into soccer. And so being that my dad was at all my basketball games, um, I wasn't going to miss Emily's soccer games and was, uh, you know, cheering her from the sidelines as she evolved. And she got really good and she started doing travel soccer. And um, if anyone doesn't know what travel soccer is on a national level, um, every weekend uh, from the start of soccer season in August till uh, the end of soccer season, if you're playing on a national level in July, it's all year round. And uh, you're staying at a Holiday Inn Express, <laughs> eating the same pancake batter and getting a juice and uh, you're traveling with the other team parents. So you get to know them quite well. But um, Emily was uh, all in on soccer and she was a five foot four goalie. She was really fearless and really good. And uh, training is four times a week. Goalie training is another two times a week. And then uh, goalies play games and uh, they rotate goalies. They call a goalie, need a goalie. And uh, you're playing games all the time. And so that dominated about 10 years of our life. And um, there was a recruiting process and all that. And I actually was a team manager for, uh, I can't remember, uh, two different instances for, I think, two or three years each. So uh, that's the, the club, the soccer club liaison to the parents and to the players. So um, I got to do that. Unfortunately, at age 50 in 2016, um, I had a colonoscopy. This is my timeout period during the podcast to say, go get screened for your mammography, your prostate, your colonoscopy, or an at-home test, uh, your cardio uh, for your stress test. Go to the dentist. Uh, everyone skipped their appointments during COVID. Go get screened. It is so much better than uh, getting diagnosed with cancer or any other disease uh, and going through chemo and surgeries and side effects and uh, no, no reason to do that. Go keep your health up. Go, go get screened, please. So um, at age 50, uh, I got diagnosed after colonoscopy at stage three with an eight and a half centimeter tumor in my cecum, uh, colon resection surgeries, chemoport, full chemotherapy cycles, uh, more surgery, failed clinical trial, metastatic stage four in July of 17. And um, again, lightning struck again. 
cancer, stage four cancer for a second time. This time I'm, uh, you know, a husband, a dad, and it's the digital age. So I'm looking for digital resources of support. But uh, when you go metastatic and it spreads to your liver, your, your stomach lining is called your peritoneum and omentum and um, your bowel, your prognosis isn't very good. You can doctor Google it. It's 4% chance of living like, you know, six to 12 months and things were dark. And all I could think of was, am I going to see Emily graduate high school? She was a freshman at the time. And I did not know. I had no idea. And in the stage four cancer worlds, we live with death. Uh, it's not that people give up. It's their cancer burden comes too great. And God calls them to heaven. Only God knows your number. And I was still trying to be active, um, you know, in Emily's life. But there were times where I was bedridden. I was sick. I'm raging on steroids, um, puking my guts out, going to the bathroom a lot. And uh, there, was, there was lots of stuff that she watched her dad you know, suffer, uh, be in pain and um, not be able to, you know, perform like I wanted to, not working on disability. And she had to witness all that at a young age. And um, people would always ask her, you know, how I'm doing, but didn't ask her how she was doing. I feel bad about that. Uh, but we were on the firing lines again. Lisa stepped in as my caregiver and uh, superwoman and um, had to do everything, including raise Emily. And I participated where I could, especially on the soccer side, uh, trying to get to as many games as I could. And as the team manager, I had other team dads, Ross Leonard and others drive me and drive Emily to games that were all over the place. And um, you, you try to do the best you can and, and just get out of bed each day and um, get through the treatments, get through the side effects. And um, this time I was a Marine on a mission. And I wanted to see Emily graduate. You had to put that goal out there. And I did. And um, although I allowed myself some time to be depressed, be angry, I never lost the four-letter word that you, you need to take with you called hope. Hope was that fuel that allowed me to keep going. And so um, via miracle number three, I did a surgery called cytoreduction high pack hyperintrapreneurial chemotherapy so they cut me open and they poured hot chemotherapy in me in march of 18 and um 13 and a half hours later i woke up in the icu and pressed the morphine drip button and then began the healing process to see if they got all the cancer and that heated chemo had got the actual cancer they couldn't see the microscopic cancer and um I am here to tell you today, I'm uh, almost four years, no evidence of disease, getting towards the fifth year and hopefully remission. And um, I got to see Emily graduate high school. One of the proudest days of my life. Didn't even, wasn't guaranteed. Life's not guaranteed. And then I got to see her graduate college this December. She graduated summa cum laude from the University of Michigan. She started her career as a reporter um, in uh, Montana. And It's just been an amazing, amazing thing. You have to play the cards that you're dealt. And um, I'm building Humpty Dumpty version 2.0 again. And um, got to see our little girl grow up. She climbs mountains, she snowshoes, she ice climbs. And she's so good on camera. We watch her on, uh, 
on, on the app uh, every night she's on air, but she's a good person. She knows her values. She's also a tough kid to watch her dad go through this and uh, have such a loving and smart mom to uh, give her a little softer side of things. So, huh, boy, I, I know I'm giving you the speed version here, but uh, I think it's important to pay tribute to the dads out there. Be a good dad. Be the best dad you can be. It's okay to be not perfect. You know, I'm not a, a, a dad joke talking guy, but um, boy, uh, I'm a hugger and hugs mean everything. And um, I wish I could hug you right now, Emily. Miss you. But I am grateful, lucky, and blessed to be a dad. Thanks for listening. You can find me at shiningbrightly.com. And um, go have a great Father's Day. And as we say in the cancer world, keep effing going, KFG. Love you, Emily. From mom and I, you are our world. Happy Father's Day 2023 to everybody. Thanks for, for watching and listening. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shining Brightly with me, Howard Brown. Come interact with me at shiningbrightly.com. And remember, keep on shining.